0: What are we? What are you waiting for? Um, yeah, pretty exciting. Uh, I am very excited about this. And as I've as I've begun to think more and more about this, I've realized how unprepared any human being can be to talk about heaven, because, um, or even just how to think about it, because it's 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 just one of those things that's it's just out of our grasp to comprehend. And so I've been having a hard time. Paul gives us this command in Colossians three. One to three. He says this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I just love those verses. Uh, And so as we're doing our heaven series, what we're kind of doing is is we're, we're doing our best to obey Paul here. Okay, we are, we are going to take this command seriously to actually spend a few couple of weeks to set our minds on what is above together as, as a church. Um, and so, yeah, we're putting down Romans for a couple of weeks. We'll come back to Romans soon. When we get back, we're in chapter five. It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to getting back into Romans. Don't you worry. Um, but we're going to be, yeah, setting our minds on the things above for a few weeks. And so I, I hope and pray that this is a time that really blesses you. Um, here, here's the problem we generally have. With heaven, um, heaven is an area of Christian theology, which is probably more than most filled with, like, junk. As in, we, we are content far more than in other areas of theology. We are content with unbiblical ideas of heaven just kind of existing in the room. And so um, it's kind of true, I think, as we think about heaven, that we're often more formed by the culture, by pop culture, by movies, by books, by um, even sometimes other religions, than we are by the teaching of scripture. And so, um, so so many Christians do have kind of a, a, quite a twisted picture of heaven in their heads. That's quite unbiblical and quite awful, to be honest. And so, um, this is just something that that's true. Uh, Randy Alcorn, he, he's written a famous book on heaven. I'll give a shout out to that. It's kind of like it's kind of like the, uh, it's the one you go to. It's big, thick, full of scripture. Go buy it. It's a great read. Um, he, he, he talks about a conversation that he was having with a pastor, uh, a pastor of, of a church. And, and uh, the conversation went like this. He said, uh, this pastor said, whenever I think about heaven, I get depressed. I, th- I think I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. He'd prefer to just like just stop existing than heaven, and 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 when Randy Preston, why is it the case? He says this. He said, I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium. To float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's all so terribly boring. <laughs> have you ever sung that song? Um, you know, it will be there in ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun. Have you ever sort of think of, like if we're like. Have you ever thought about like a church service going for ten thousand years? Right, <laughs> He says, heaven doesn't sound that much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated, stop existing, than spend eternity in a place like that. And so here's this Bible-believing, um, Bible-college-educated person, pastor, with this horrifically unbiblical picture of heaven in his head. Um, in fact, his, yeah, his, his picture of heaven was so bad, so appalling to him, that he'd rather just not exist. And maybe you're here today, and that's you. You genuinely, when you think about heaven, you're like, I'd rather just not think about it. Because it's just hard. Like, it's just, this makes me feel yuck. I love this little, the Far Side comics. They have some great ones about heaven. Um, this is uh, Far Side, Kind of leaning into this misconception, right? I wish I'd brought a magazine, right? Something to do in heaven, right? Just to keep you entertained. Like you're on a marooned island somewhere and you need something to do. Friends, if that is heaven, you should not be excited about it, right? And you should... You shouldn't be, um, you you would have no more desire for that than like anything that you're not meant to be doing, right? Like you're not not designed for this. You're not designed to eat gravel, so you're not going to have an appetite for gravel, right? In the same way, you are not going to have an appetite for this kind of heaven. Let me quote Randy Alcorn. He says this. He says, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. Isn't that true? If we believe that lie, we'll be robbed of our joy and our anticipation. We'll set our minds on this life and not the next. And we won't be motivated to share our faith. Why should we share the good news that people can spend eternity in a boring, ghostly place that even we're not looking forward to? Do you see how this kind of of touches all of our lives, this area? It's going to affect our hope. It's going to affect our mission. It's going to affect our joy in the Lord So we better get this straightened out. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to hopefully be getting a little bit more in touch with reality. Reality. What it is that the biblical vision of heaven actually has for us. What What the Bible teaches us about heaven. Why it is compelling and beautiful and glorious and exciting. And it is awesome. Guys, we're going to be in for a treat, I think. It is worth waiting for. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 gives us this promise. It says, No eye has seen, nor, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You, like, To some degree, what we're doing for the next few weeks is an exercise in futility, because we, we can't get anywhere near it, right? We are not going to get anywhere near it, and yet, how important is it for us to spend some time listening, opening ourselves up to what God might say, informing us. And so let me just make two quick notes before we dive in to our series. Just like two, two quick things just to mention, just to say, keep these things in mind for the next few weeks as we talk about heaven. Um, the first thing is this. There is so much we don't know, but there's actually much we do as well. So let's not like throw one, let's not go all one way or the other. Let's try to keep these two things in balance some people like to say you know it's just a mystery how can we ever know it's just like like what can we ever hope to understand it's like yeah that's true and yet god has told us so much and so we shouldn't just assume that we can't know anything about heaven god has told us a great deal and it is for us to be strengthened it's for our strengthening that he would tell us these things and so we must we must do our best to understand what he has told us and yet at the exact same time yeah it's a mystery we're talking about eternity here, guys. It is going to be crazy. There's gonna be a great deal of mystery. We are finite creatures talking about eternity. It's like earthworms talking about quantum mechanics, right? It's like, here I am, you know, the earthworm with the mic, being like, quantum mechanics. It's, 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 a, it's very difficult. We're only gonna grasp the tiniest fraction of the truth, and yet we're gonna be so strengthened by that truth, I think. First thing to mention, second thing that I wanna mention, um, this is actually going to take a little bit of imagination, in a good way. Like God has given you a brain, God has given you an, an imagination for a reason. And I think in this particular series, yeah, you, you're going to have to actually exercise that muscle. Imagine what things would look like. Unlike in Romans, where we're doing lots of kind of like logical argumentation and that kind of thing uh, that calls for kind of deep thinking. This series, I think, is going to call for more deep contemplation, reflection, imagination. It's, it's just different, right? And it's not, like a, like it's not an unspiritual thing to use your imagination when God, is trying to, when God speaks in metaphors, trying to imagine what it is he is trying to say to us. Randy Alcorn, again, I'm just, I'm just leaning on him a little bit here. Um, he says, he argues that we can't anticipate or desire what it is we can't even imagine. How can we desire something if we have no concept of what it is? We we need to at least try to get our heads around what this is. And so when God speaks of heaven as as a city, when God speaks of heaven as as a garden, when God speaks of heaven as a wedding banquet, a wedding feast, when God speaks of heaven as a kingdom with a kind king on the throne, you're meant to think about it. What would that be like? What would it be like to be in, the, in a city, a garden city with God, the wedding feast of the Lamb? What would that be like? And so that's just a few things just to keep in mind before we get started. You guys excited? I, I am, and I hope you are as well. This is going to be some good fun. And so let's, um, yeah, let's dig in. Let's open up our minds. Let's, yeah, do our best to see what God might say to us today. Let me pray uh, first just to kick us off, and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, yeah, we are we are a bunch of eager earthworms this morning. Um, Lord, we, we do want to know more. Lord, we do want to have our, our misconceptions fixed. Lord, we do want to be more excited about heaven than we are. Lord, I confess my own apathy at times, Lord, uh, my lack of hope. Lord, or I suppose my lack, my, my putting my hope too much on this earth and not enough on the next, uh, Lord, and so I pray that you would Bless us through your word this morning and over the next few weeks, Lord, as we, as we let your word speak to us. Yeah. Lord, would you be lifted up? Would you remind us what our true hope is? We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, look, we're actually going to start the series a little bit, like with a little bit of a prelude. So we're going to get into the guts of heaven probably over the next two or three, over the next three weeks. Today, we're going to be talking about kind of, I suppose, the bigger bigger picture, Um, we're going to be talking about the concept of home, what it means to be home. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says that God has put eternity into man's heart. God has put eternity into man's heart. Just stop and just think about what, what, what might be being said here. I think what, what he's saying here is that there is something in us that craves something outside of this world. Something from, from something that's bigger than just what we can see and touch and feel. We all create, crave beauty and meaning and purpose and wonder and awe and love and these otherworldly things that are bigger than just the physical that we can see and touch and taste. We aren't just highly evolved hunks of meat who, you know, are made from space debris, who have these, um, who are just driven by biological urges, and that's nothing, and nothing more than that, right? We're, we're not just those things. We're people with eternity inside of us and shapes the way we, we exist because God has put that within us. God has put that eternity in us to make us restless on this earth. This should actually explain that desire we have in us for something more, I think. That God has has wired us this way. Um, C.S. Lewis, he says it wonderfully, incisively. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, the Bible actually, in the first few pages of the Bible, it's actually going to explain where this thing comes from, where this restlessness comes from. In Genesis, we, we, we read the story, right? We, we find that the story of Genesis 1 and 2, it starts with our origins, that we were created by God to be with Him, to walk with Him, to love Him, to be in relationship, intimate relationship with Him. And today, look, I hope, I hope you know that. If you're new to church, this is, way, this is what you're for. God made you to be with Him. I hope you know that. God created you to know Him, Genesis 3 happens. The fall. Adam and Eve rebel against God. They usurp against his kingly authority. They fracture that relationship that they enjoyed in the garden. The relationship is broken. And so Adam and Eve go from what? Walking with God in the garden, face to face with God, relationship with God, to separation from God. They are removed from The garden. They lose their home. Adam and Eve lost their home. They were removed from God. And the story of humanity ever since that day when they left the garden has been one of endless restlessness and this kind of unexplainable homesickness. Because we're not at home. We we can't be at home without God. The church father Augustine, he said it really well when he said that. He said this he said, Because you have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Because you have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless. God has given us the gift of an itch, of of a restlessness, of a homesickness until we find our rest in Him. And so in, in one way, right, every heart is like a homing pigeon that has this pull towards the eternity, eternity this, this restlessness that keeps us uh, unfulfilled on this earth. We're just going to be unfulfilled here. We just are. Get used to it. It's not going away. It's why you'll never have enough dollars in the account. You'll never have enough experiences on this planet to finally, like, Fill that void. It's just not going to happen. There is always going to be that itch for more. There's something deep within the human soul that knows we're not home yet. No matter where we live, no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what season we're in, sure, we get little glimpses of it, but we're never like fully home. We have this restless itch, this low grade fever of homesickness that sits in the background that we get used to living with, and every now and then it gets stronger and we feel it again. It's the spiritual itch we can never fully scratch. It is the heartache we have for our true home. We have a heartache for our true home. The Bible is going to repeatedly say that we are strangers and exiles. That little phrase shows up a bunch, right? We're strangers and exiles. Means we're not. We're passing through at best, right? We're not. We're not home here. Not truly home. We're. Hebrews 11 says we're, we're awaiting a better country. Um, Larissa and I, we live out in Warner, about 20 minutes north. And, and back in 2016, so five years ago, we actually built a house. That's us. And there's little Lucy on the way. Um, and we feel very blessed to be able to actually do that. Like, that's, yeah, we feel well blessed by that. But as we were building, um, I remember, like, before we built, we used to always talk about the things that we would always do if we built. Like, if we have a bill, we would totally do this, totally do that, totally do this. Like, grand designs, right? Too much grand designs. And then we saw the dollars, and we're like, oh, we can't do any of that. So, a lot of those dreams we had, a lot of those things we just assumed, yeah, of course we would. If we had the opportunity, we would definitely do that. We had to, like, say no to. All of them, basically, except the building a house part. And I distinctly remember having this conversation a couple of times with Larissa, where we would say, yeah, but this isn't This isn't our forever home. It's just not. We might live here forever, for a long time. But it's not our forever home. This is a gift from God. And yes, it's probably our only opportunity we'll ever get to kind of create something on this kind of scale. That's pretty cool. But this is not our forever home. It's a temporary gift, like any house that we ever live in. It's a temporary gift from God for a season. And this is not our forever home. And so we're just not going to put all our hope on building something that we are just truly in love with. Our house, our forever house, is still to come. It really is. It's coming. Friends, this world is not your home. Your house is not your true and final home. It's just not. Maybe for you, I know the Brisbane market, right? Maybe for you, owning a house feels like that thing that if you could get there, then, you know, we've made it. We've made it. We've got a home. We can finally feel like we're not homesick anymore. And you just got to know that that's not the case. There will always be that sense of homesickness, and breaking that Brisbane market is not going to fix that itch. It's going to still be there. This is not your forever home. Let me, um, let me share with you from a guy named John Bloom. He's a writer. He said this. He says, no matter where we are, no matter what we do, we're always foreigners and feel somewhat out of place. I don't know if you've ever been overseas and been a foreigner, but yeah, you do feel out of place when you don't speak the language or you look a bit different. Until we realize, until we really come to grips with this reality, we will be repeatedly, we will repeatedly feel disorientated and disappointed. The reason home always eludes you now is that you were made for another world. No worldly experience can satisfy your inconsolable longing. No relationship, no successful, achieve, successful achievement, no possession, no amount of public approval will ever satisfy you here. The best these can do is give a brief copy and shadowy glimpse of your true homeland. The best they can do is make you homesick for the better country Where you belong, yet have never seen. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to John 14? Larissa read this verse out earlier. We're going to be spending the rest of our time in in these three verses, the first three verses of John 14. Um, And we're going to hear some incredible words from Jesus. These are some precious, precious words. Um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. On the night before he is killed, he is explaining to them what's about to happen, that he's about to be arrested and killed. And so this is a very heavy conversation he's having. It's tense. There's emotions. Peter has just promised that he'll never deny him. And Jesus says, actually, he will three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. And so that's what's just happened, right? The room is filled with tension. They're filled with grief. This is what Jesus says. So having, having told him he's going to die, and having told Peter he's going to deny him, he says this, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He's saying, trust me, I, n- I know what I'm doing here. You can trust me. Then he says this, in my father's house are many rooms. I actually sung that in the first song this morning, I don't know if you noticed. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Can we all agree that these are some amazing words from Jesus? Amazing words. I wish I, wish I could grasp all that he had in his mind when he said that. What was he What was he thinking? exactly. I'd love to know. Um, we're, today we're just going to spend some time thinking through these th- just three verses today, just to get us ready and just to get us thinking about heaven. Four things we're going to look at in this passage. First thing we're going to see in this passage is verse one, the expansive house of God. How many rooms? Many rooms, right? Lots of rooms. God is not holding heaven out of reach. He's not holding heaven out for the worthy, but he is throwing open the doors and he's inviting all in through faith. Anyone who would receive his son is welcome in his house, which means, friends, there is room for you. Plenty of room for you. There's room for you today. Notice just how incredibly personal these languages. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Right? Not kind of, it's not vague and abstract. It's, I, I, Jesus, I'm going to prepare a place for you now. And friends, he wants you there. He desires that you would be with him. This many-roomed house is an expression of God's heart for the world, isn't it? There is no limited space. Many rooms the extravagance of God's heart is on display here. And listen, there is no one in the, in the hearing of my voice this morning that is outside of that invitation. There's many rooms. That's what we're meant to hear today. That there is space for you. Maybe today is the day for the first time you actually receive the love of God and, and receive this invitation and put your faith in Him. There's room for you in the kingdom of God. And today I pray that you would make that step and receive the love of God afresh. There is much room in the expansive house of God. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Secondly, what does it mean that Jesus goes to prepare a place for you? What does that mean? I've always kind of had a picture in my mind here of Jesus like getting, having ready for us. Like, excuse, like the silly kind of image, but like fluffing the pillows, putting on the new sheets, mint on the pillow, right? Getting your room ready, getting it all set, got the towel there, fresh towel. That's not what he's talking about here at all. He's not, God God built the world in seven days, right? He can do anything in a moment. What, I think the answer to what, what preparing a place means is what is he talking about before he says this? So in what context is he saying this? He has just been talking to them about what? Going to die for their sins. He's talking about going to the cross for them. The way he prepares a place for you is to make a way for you to be welcomed in. Preparing a place does not mean like construction in heaven, like an endless toilet block project that never finishes. Right? It's not heavenly construction, but crucifixion. That's how he makes a way for you. He's preparing a way through his death. And so now I think when you read it all back with that in your mind, that when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's talking about what he's going to do tomorrow. It all kind of makes sense in a way that it didn't for me prior Um, he's going to make a way through his death. Third, he's coming back to get us. Verse 2. Again, follow the logic here, okay? The logic is I'm going to prepare a place. Verse 2. In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place? So he's saying, if there wasn't room for you, if there wasn't room for you, If it wasn't in the Father's deepest heart to have you with him forever, if there wasn't room for you in the kingdom of God, why on earth would I go to the cross to rescue you? Why on earth would I suffer and die for you? If I said that there's space in the house, why why would I do that? But if I'm going through the horror of preparing a way for you through the cross, if I do all of that for you, do you think I'm really going to, like, abandon you here? He says he's coming back for us. Do you really think I'm not going to continue to love you, continue to bring you with myself so you can be with me? Do you think I'm really going to leave you to your own devices? If I promise that I'm going to rescue you, do you really think I'm not going to come back? So if we ever doubt the heart of Christ for us, we can look at the cross and and be reminded of the strength of his resolution to love us forever. He has gone to the cross for us. And verse 3 says this, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I'm coming back. I've already done the hard bit, right? Of course I'm going to do the easy bit. Imagine with me uh, that there is a young man who is deeply in love with his to-be-bride. do we have any engaged? We do. Jake and Juliet, there we go. Let's call them Jake and Juliet, or Jules and D*, whichever one. They're our newlyweds. This young man loves his, loves his to-be-bride, and he wants to build a house. Build a house for his bride. He spends everything. spends all his money, empties out every account he has, sells everything he owns, works two jobs... Blood, sweat and tears, built it with his own hands, takes a long time. She's a patient girl. But one day, this man, having paid everything he has, finally finishes the house. The second that last nail goes in, do you think he has anything else in his mind but going to get his bride? And bringing her into the house? Carrying her over the threshold? Is there anything else in his mind? Could he think of anything else? Can you imagine that young man failing to run to his bride to bring her into that house? After everything he's done, could his heart ever forget her? Friends, Jesus is coming back for his beloved. He loves her. He's not going to live without her. He's spent his blood to get him, to get her. So that, last one, so that we will be with him forever. With him forever. He says this, if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you. Where? To myself. So that where I am, you may be also. We call it heaven. Jesus calls it where I am to myself, where I am. That is what we are talking about when we talk about heaven, and we can never think of anything less than the presence of Jesus when we think about heaven. That's the big E on the eye chart, right? Heaven is where I am, according to Jesus. I'm going to introduce you now to a, a probably a new theological term that doesn't get, a lot, doesn't get mentioned a lot. Um, it's, it's pretty old school. The word is the beatific vision. It's probably a new one, beatific vision. Um, what it means, literally, is the beautiful sight. What it's talking about is when we finally, with unveiled face, get to gaze upon our God in heaven. Jesus, in Matthew 5, verse 8, in, the, in one of the Beatitudes, he says this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. don't know if you've ever actually like stopped and thought about that one for a very long time. I encourage you to. What is it? What does it mean that you'll see God? How? What would that be like? I have no idea, friends. It's going to take some imagination. Jonathan Edwards, he's an incredible old American theologian. He gives us a great definition of this beautiful vision, the, the beautiful sight, the beatific vision. He says this. He says it is the pleasure of seeing. He says the pleasure of seeing God is so great and so strong that it takes the full possession of the heart. It fills it to the brimful, so that there shall be no room for any sorrow, no room in any corner for anything of an adverse nature to joy. There is no darkness that can bear such a beautiful, powerful light. Friends, one day we will see God. We'll be with Jesus forever. The best thing about heaven is not... The blessings that God's going to rain down on us for eternity. Ephesians 2 verse 7 or something says that God is going to pour out his immeasurable kindness forever. That's pretty cool. That's not the best part. The best thing about heaven is that God will be there. We'll be home. We'll be finally home with our Lord. I think we all know that home isn't fully, truly home if we're not with our loved ones. Those of you that have lost a loved one will know that that absence... Like that doesn't go away ever? In the same way, friends, heaven cannot be heaven without Jesus. I hope you wouldn't be satisfied with a heaven without Jesus. This world without sin and sin and pain and, and sickness, or without God it's still not heaven. It's still not home. What we are talking about today is your forever home. With God forever in His presence forever. Which means, if this is true, then the greatest and the best is still ahead of you. The greatest and the best is still ahead. Right right now in your life, that big event that kind of looms on the horizon, that big thing that casts a shadow over your whole life, it isn't death. It's this. This is bigger and more powerful than even your death. Your death is small business compared to what we're talking about today. Friends, the glory of heaven is going to outshine everything. It's going to outshine the deepest, darkest shadow. One day, we will get to be with God forever. One day, we'll get to be with God forever. Have you ever had had a moment where you've felt about as content as you can ever be? Have you ever felt that moment? Where you're just like, this is just about as perfect as it can get. We, we totally get those moments in our life where we feel deeply content, deeply at rest, deeply safe. It's a taste of what's to come. Have you noticed that those feelings don't stay for very long? There's <laughs> too much pain in the world, right? It's too much pain around us, too much pain within us. there's too much hurt. There's, like, we just can't pretend like that's it. But it's a taste the taste of the kind of contentment that is to come, heaven will be an ever-increasing experience of that forever. God is infinite, which means that heaven can get infinitely better forever. Isn't that cool? Infinite experience of that blessed rest in Christ. So today, I guess, as we kick off and we begin to think about what is to come, I just want to give you permission So just get really excited about this. Like, just let this excite you. Let this really encourage you. Let this get under your skin. This is going to be amazing. We live with this kind of hope that is so powerful, so strong, so, we just have so much cause for optimism. Because that God is so good. He's so powerful. He's given us so many promises of what is to come. We've given given this promise of heaven, this forever home where the paint won't peel and the ceiling won't crack, right like we've got this we've got so much to look forward to, friends so much to look forward to. but the truth is, look we're not there yet. you know that. I hope you know that this is in heaven look around in heaven there will be toilets that work. <laughs> not Portlouse loos will be a thing of the past. A couple of weeks, I'm told by the way on that one so that's some good news, progress. No, we're not there yet. We are stuck in between the two worlds. where Theologians call it the, the already, but the not yet. So there's so many, so many promises of heaven we get to experience right now. But at the same time, this isn't it. There is more to come. Uh, this, is the, this is the foretaste. In a real sense, we have already received the down payment on our salvation. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We have the presence of God in us and with us. That's amazing. We get to experience something of that real deep gospel rest right here on this planet through the power of the Spirit, which is awesome. But it's not exactly the same thing as actually being in heaven. There's so much more to come. So much more to come. And so while we're stuck here in the in the in-between, the already but the not yet, full of the Holy Spirit, and yet awaiting the full redemption of our lives and our world and our bodies. What are we, what are we to do? How, how are we to kind of navigate life in this already not yet kind of space? There's two things I want to mention. Firstly, the um, first thing I want to say is don't fight the homesickness that you have. Don't fight that itch. That restless itch for true rest, that homesickness for the next world, it actually serves you. It keeps your eyes fixed on God. Do you know what I mean? Let that itch drive you towards Him. Let that itch push you towards Him. I guess what I'm saying is like, what's the opposite of fighting the home? What's the opposite of not fighting? It's fighting it, right? So, how do you fight the homesickness? Is you try and make heaven here, right? And so you, you, you pretend your house with the cracked roof is your forever house, right? This is it. This is as good as it gets. And I'm going to enjoy as much as I can here. And what you start doing is you start trying to build heaven here. And how do you do that? You have to pretend that other things are God. You have to become an idolater. Do you understand? It's It's actually idolatry when we try and pretend that this is our heaven. And idolatry is a surefire way to shipwreck your faith. You're not meant to feel perfectly at home here. You're not meant to. So the fact that you don't is a good sign, friends. Seriously. It's a good sign when you're like, yeah, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Good. Yeah, you're awake to reality. God has shown, opened up your eyes to show you, yes, this is not your home. You have another, another home. In the parable of the sower, Jesus teaches us that one of the ways that faith gets killed, it's, it gets strangled out by the weeds of worldly concern and by... Um, Deceitfulness of riches. It's people thinking that they can build heaven here. Friends, don't try and medicate your homesickness with the stuff of this world. It'll kill your faith. When you feel homesick, yeah, that's good. It means you have another home. Let it make you more and more hungry for God, more and more hungry for the next life. Don't try to fight your homesickness. And secondly, last thing to mention, Remember what you're doing here. When we talk about heaven, it's like, why, we, why can't we just go now? It's like, yeah, if God wanted you there, he would have you there, just so you know. Like, he doesn't. The reason you're here is because he's got something for you to do, friends. Let me give you just some words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Philippians uh, First Philippians, Philippians 1. Um, 21, he says this. I think this is helpful. He says, for me, to live is... And to die is gain. Love that. Didn't we just learn that? To die, is, it is gain. But while we're here, we're living for Jesus. If I'm to live in the flesh, so if I'm to live on this earth, that means fruitful labor for me and for you. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. He says, I can't make up in my mind which one I want. Do I want to go to be with Jesus, or do I want to stay here and work really hard to bless people? I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better Preach, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, with you all, for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying to live is Christ, to die is gain. While I'm here, I've got work to do. But I'm looking forward to going home, that is for sure. And so friends, let's remember our purpose, well, like what we're actually here for. God has actually given us a reason to not be in heaven yet. Paul says it's for the progress and joy in the faith of this Philippian church. Blessing other Christians. Building them up. Jesus is going to put it quite clearly for us in the Great Commission, right? Go make disciples. That's what you're here for. We have a mission on this earth to, to do eternal kingdom work. Eternal kingdom work, not, not I suppose, just worldly projects. Building sand castles on, at low tide on the beach, it's going to get knocked over in the next wave, right? No, we are building something that will never, ever, ever perish. The kingdom of God is going to last forever. That eternal work is going to survive the fires of... What is to come? And so remember why you're here. Remember eternity. Consider what it is that your life is actually for an eternal scope. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. So for friends, remember today, this is not your home. It's not where you're going to live forever. It's not your forever home. But you do have one, and it's coming, and it is going to be awesome. Jesus has given us so many amazing promises We're going to be learning about what those are in the weeks to come. But what is to come? It's bigger than your life. It's even bigger than your death. It's going to be amazing. So friends, as Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. For in my Father's house, there are many rooms. Amen, Jesus. Before we move into a time... Before I pray, actually, I'm going to get the band up now. Um, Before I... Pray. I'm just going I just want to give you just a couple of minutes, just to sit, and pray, over these things we talked about. Just gonna give you some silence for a couple of minutes, and then I'll pray, and then we'll return to worship. Um, just spend the, ne- the next few fi- few minutes, praying over what we've talked about, praying over these verses. Um, Wixie, do you want to put up maybe verses one to three, uh, back on this on the screen so that people can read it. Spend some time praying, no. I'll, um, I'll close in a little while. As we pray today, I pray that you would strengthen our hope, strengthen our hearts, strengthen our longing, Lord, dare I say, strengthen that homesickness, Lord, because it points us back to you, reminds us of what is to come, reminds us of the great blessing we have to look forward to in you. Lord, we thank you right now for the ways in which we get to actually experience your blessing with us right now. Lord, we get to experience something of heaven through your Holy Spirit's presence, Lord. And as a church, we thank you so much for that gift. Yet, Lord, we know that that's just the down payment. Well, there is so much more to come. We, we, as, as Paul says Lord we see in a mirror dimly now but one day we'll see with unveiled face Lord your glory we'll experience that beatific vision Lord we'll get to gaze upon your face Lord and forever experience your wonder and beauty Lord we thank you that you've gone to prepare a place for us Lord, through your death and your resurrection, Lord, you have made a way for us to be reconciled with the Father, brought back into the family of God. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we pray that we would we get to experience that love in more deeper and beautiful ways. Lord, that we would not just know your love, but feel your love to be true for us. Lord, that you love us more than. Any picture of love or anything we've ever experienced in our lives, Lord, it's incomparable. We thank you that you're coming back to get us, to take us, so that we might be where you are forever. Lord, we love you. We know that heaven would not be heaven without you. We pray that you'd help us grasp the merest fraction of of what this means for us, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you've done. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you.